0: Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a CazSource production. In this episode, I chat with Abdel Rodriguez, soccer goalkeeper trainer and founder of Cronus. We discuss USA soccer, the immigrant mindset, and youth sports. This episode exists because of CazSource. CazSource is your content team. You know how many business leaders need help communicating their story? That's what we do. Content strategy, creation, and distribution for business leaders. This provides opportunities, relationships, and a platform for you and your business. Why do we do this? Because at KezSource, we exist to help you create and share amazing content. And yes, you should have a podcast. We'll help you. Learn more by visiting kezcontent.com. When I talked to you originally, Abdel, we talked about soccer. We talked about goalkeeper playing the position. We talk about my son, who's a goalkeeper and just you know little things here and there. And the one thing that stood out to me is your passion behind the position, your passion behind the yeah. sport. And what you did with that is turning that into a actual business yeah. and not just any business. I mean, you have convictions on what you believe. Uh, you have history, you prove it out. You have partners, clients, coaches, you have all these different things going on. And so for me, when I talk to a fellow entrepreneur, it's an exciting time to, to have those conversations because I get to learn from it. But going back to that conversation about soccer, because there is a culture in the soccer world and people who love soccer, man, they really love soccer. And your background, though, I want to get into first as to when did you fall in love with the sport? You know, How old were you? Where did you grow up? Where did you live? All that kind of stuff. Because I think that frames it for the rest of the conversation.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think like you said, it, it's a deep and rooted um, passion that it's, it's easier said than... Um... To just say, basically, I don't remember a time without it. My father played left back, you know, my whole time growing up where, you know, every Friday night, Sunday morning, he was playing. And um, I was just the one that would go with my dad, you know. And yeah. so I, I remember, you know, the, at the youngest age, maybe like five elementary school, you know, kindergarten time where I was already with the ball. So it's easier said to just say like, I've, I've never, yeah. I, I can't pinpoint the beginning of it. It was just an everyday thing, you know? Yeah. Where were you?
0: Where did you grow up?
1: I was born in Mexico. Okay. And then we immigrated here to the U S so I did a lot of my growing up here in the U S and, uh, it's, it's, it's more of a, of what I call home here. Cause it's more of what I know. Yeah. Um, during my teenage years, I did go back and I played out there for a little bit. So I was able to experience it that, but, uh, You know, it's one of those things where even though I'm born there and, and, um, you know, we we have this little mark due to some sort of vaccination down in Mexico that kind of gives you a scar. So I have this scar. I was still classified as um, the white guy coming in, you know, and then when you're in the U.S., you're not the white guy. You're just the Mexican. Yeah. (laughs) It it was weird. It was weird when I was in my, I guess, in my birth country and it it wasn't really, you know, I wasn't really seen as as one of them, you know, because I was raised over here or or whatever. you know my Spanish is, is as fluent as it is, so it was still kind of strange there. But um, yeah, I mean to me, I call it the U.S. home, and that's that's where that's where we've been able to do all our our family growing, and it's what's giving me my 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 life with all my businesses and stuff. Okay, well, I gotta ask you this then: U.S. Mexico play in a big game. Who are you rooting for? <laughs> that, that, that's strong. That's, <laughs> it's, a hard one, you know? it's, it's a hard one because, uh, like you said, it's such a, a deep and rooted thing. I remember when I was uh, playing collegiately, it was um most of our team was Hispanic on this side, you know, but it was, it's strange. It's strange because although, like I said, I, I'm born over there and raised over here, but you know, I don't plan my kids living over there. Right. So yeah. I as time it. goes by, I, I begin to lean a little bit more towards the U.S. I, I think also because of the culture change that I'm trying to do here, you know, sure. where, where I, it, it hits me a little bit different. It's not just, so I'm born there. It's I'm trying to change things here and I would want that to happen. So root a little bit more, you know. I understand that. Do you hear a lot about the immigrant mindset? My
0: great-grandmother was young when she came over here and I hear the stories of the things that they did and then the things that her two sons did. You know, they were born here, but they were raised by an immigrant, right? And so there's this mindset of there are no excuses. You're going to make it happen. You have this incredible opportunity in this country to go do it. And I see someone like you out there, you just look at your activity, just even if it's on on social media, right? That can, you know, social media is a whole nother story. But when I have a conversation with you, like I said before, there's a passion, there's a, the word hustles, it's a weird word, but, but you're making things happen. But going back to the original thing, the immigrant mindset, I mean, have you, do you hear about that a lot? I mean, do you feel like your father or perhaps you are living that because you're just, you're going to do whatever it takes to make this thing happen?
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, um, you saying that everyone, every close person in my circle is an immigrant from in one way or another, you know, whether we're first generation born or you yourself are one. You know, in my case, I, I directly am one. Anton is one. My right hand man here in Vegas, Augusto, is one. You know, and, and again, the closest friends that I, that I have, everyone was either born outside of this country or was, you know, coming from immigrant parents. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it hardens you in a different way. A little personal thing. Um, I, w- I wasn't a sophomore until um, I had uh, you know, legal permission to be able to, to travel in and out. I was able to be here, but not to go in and out where you know, you do start to think when you're at that age, 15, 16, and you start to wonder, well, what am I going to do in my life? Because I don't know if I can even continue to do work once I graduate from high school. You know, So it hardens you in a different way of life. It makes you see things a little bit of life. And then, like I said, when you go back to your country, and you view how how things could really be if you were there, and then you view how easy it is here with just a little bit of work. I remember growing up watching my dad; uh, they would uh, split the cable, the copper, to sell that so we can make ends meet. I tell my wife all the time um, that I remember some nights we would have a. Uh, Bowls of beans just for dinner because that's all we had, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it makes you grow up today when you know I go have sushi and it's eighty dollars and it's not you know the, the greatest thing, you know. But I think back then when my dad was making what one hundred and fifty a week and we were we were living off of that, you know. So, yeah, I mean, overall the the immigrant mindset I think it's a it's a special mindset just because it's it's like you said like the the word hustle is a little bit overplayed sometimes compared to. Right when you really see people just, you know, dig down and do it, you know, just go at it. And like you said, I mean, the way I've always defined it, you know, it, it gets exhausting at times to run three businesses, to maybe want more, to to do more with kids or whatever it is. But I always look at it, well at least I'm not working the job that my father does, like wake up at, you know, 4 a.m. and go to the cold to go work construction or things like that, you know, where a lot of my stuff is done more of through the things that I love. You know? so, well, I think it's important for yourself to be out there to share your story
0: because not everyone can have it. Right? It's 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 something that happens. It's not a choice. Right? You may you're either born here, or you're not, and then you either come here, or you don't, and you can maybe not have had that adversity. You didn't live through those hard truths and all those different things, but you can talk to someone like yourself and perhaps take some things here and there. You know, I try to think about like what my grandfather would do if he was, was here, or what my great-grandmother would be like if I like, saw those different resources and tools and all these things that you could do today. Um, so to talk to someone like yourself um, to me, it's an honor to have these conversations because of what you're doing, what you're building. But then you take it back and you're like, wow. So you don't even remember life without the sport. Um, you know, there's a soccer ball around you and, and then you're just going to take, and you're going to take it in. You're going to do so much with it. And then, like I said before, you're going to lean into it and you're going to create a business, create multiple businesses around it and collide that with the idea of just being mentally tough, right? Mm-hmm. To, you're going to find a way to get your message out there, you get your story out there and along the way helping kids right helping kids get better at the sport and you know real quick let's or not real quick but let's talk about the sport of soccer you know in mexico it's a huge sport it's part of the culture in a lot of countries you know you go to europe and, and you go just all around the world really it's probably the biggest sport worldwide you come to the united states you know american football is huge right baseball has been huge there's been hockey in canada but you know it's, it's made its way in here Soccer isn't that, but it's getting there. And I think... And I've talked about it. I've written about it and talked about it. But I believe soccer has an incredible opportunity here. Because like we talked about before, the people that love soccer really love this sport. Mm. And I think that creates an opportunity. Plus, some of these other sports are at their peak. There's concerns with those sports. Talk to me about what you see... With the soccer in the United States now, I think a concern that we're seeing is at the top, the highest level, they're not performing. I think things are changing maybe in the structure of US soccer. But anyway, talk to me a little bit about what you think about you know, the growth of US soccer right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think the growth of US soccer... I remember there was an interview done by Klitsman uh, you know, when he was our, our national team coach and they asked him, like, well, how, how is our team going to look? And he said, it's going to look the way that our country looks. You know, It's going to be diverse. You know, and and, and I think that's that that was such a great, powerful line because, yeah, I mean, there's American kids born all over the world that are due to, you know, the men and women that serve our country. And then there's kids that are, like I said, like myself, first generation immigrants that come here and and you come with that mindset because, you know, that are like myself that grew up without ever having a day of remembering a day without it. So. I I, I see it moving that way because there's more and more playing now. I do think there's to an extent where we're backtracking a little bit with how many different um, leagues there are for our kids to play in. You know, me and Anton were talking yesterday and uh, just with, uh, what is it, USYSA or whatever it's called and US soccer, there's six different leagues that the kids can play, you know, where you have the state league, the regional league, the national league. And then you go to the ECNL side and then you have, you know, the state side, the national side, So there's so much for them to do, and then you still have the DA side, and then you have, you know, outside the DA side, you have like the actual academies that are representing the MLS academies. So there's so much going on that at the same time there's still a a lot of um, ways for it to get watered down. Yep. But overall, I mean, um, I think to me the most beautiful sign. I I know a lot of people think that the, you know, being able to get relegated or to get promotion is a reason why the country isn't working out, but I truly think that the mindset of that the NCAA was the way to go in order to go pro was the the mindset that was hurting a lot of these kids, you know, um, like myself when I was there, I mean, it was, you know, 22, 23, and then now you're finally able to go pro. And as a goalkeeper, in my world, well, you know, if you're 22, 23, and you're barely going go to go into compete for some playing time. And most of these guys in the MLS are debuting at 26, 27. It's a little bit old on that side of it, you know, but I think today that a lot of kids are making the hop directly from academy to the professional world, which I hope helps out in the long run. But like you said, I, um, when we've traveled across the world and we went to Europe and I've gone to Mexico and all that kind of stuff, I mean, it's easy to begin a conversation with a stranger like that, like, "Oh, what team do you support?" And it's yeah. you know an ongoing thing, you know. Yeah. And um, I remember I was at the airport in, in London when we were leaving, and uh, there was an older gentleman, and I asked him like, uh, "What do you think about Peter Check going to uh, to Arsenal?" and it was just a whole conversation during the TSA checkout. He followed me the whole way and we we're yeah. just talking about it. So and you don't have that here. You know, now I don't know anything about football, anything about basketball. So I don't know if that's how it is. You know, if they go ask, well, what do you think about Tom Brady or whatever just happened? You know, yeah. I, I have no idea, but I do know that in my world, you know, I know, I know the sport's getting bigger. There's more and more people that are accepting the fact that the kid's playing soccer and not just going the football route, you know. Now, I think one of the biggest mindsets that we have to do is that these kids can make a living off of playing this sport. And it shouldn't just be like, oh, I just want them to get a scholarship. Because at that point, you you remove the mindset of what these kids can actually become. And you put a roof on on just, well, let's be realistic because it's pretty realistic to get a, a Division One offer or something like that. It's not so realistic to play MLS, right? Which, right. I, th- I think it's very easy you know I mean it's obviously hard but I think it's very easy to make that jump due to how new our country is when it comes to the sport but I mean overall I think it's it's a much better sport than what it was a few years back obviously we had a few miss pickups with the, the senior team but yeah, I mean I, I, I think we're at the cusp of uh, of changing a lot of things you know I, I saw this tweet once that said that the US could probably make, a powerhouse from just making a team like a U seventeen side team from California. If they actually went out and scouted and then you throw in that we have the states like Texas, like Florida, New York, where there's so many people that can make the the best, you know, U side in the world, but do we have the resources to go and find those those kids or those guys to play that?
0: I mean, you you touched on a lot there. And I think one of the things if you look at is the best athletes, not the best, some of the best athletes are not choosing the sport at a young age, right? They're playing basketball, they're playing football, they're playing a different sport. So they never Mm -hmm. play soccer. In a lot of the other countries, the best athletes are taking that sport on at a young age. Because again, it's not a part of the culture. And you're right. You could go and talk about, oh, what'd you see what happened with the Houston Astros? Did you hear what happened with Tom Brady? Or what about the game last night? What about the football game last night? The college football championship? Whatever those things might be, those are ingrained in the culture and soccer, maybe not as much, but you can still find people out there that do have that. And you touch on obviously youth soccer. And I've been obviously exposed to it through my son. I played some growing up, not at a high level, but... I've seen the development, the amount of practices, the amount of training that they do, the amount of leagues that exist, the amount of opportunities in a city like Charlotte. It's not just one league. So you can go to one league, two, there's like multiple different leagues, and then you just get outside the city limits a little bit and it's even more. And then there's like you said, different levels of those leagues. And you know the one thing that comes with all of those is a lot of money to play yeah. in these leagues at these high levels, it's a lot of money, and that's just for the league. Well, now how far do you want to take it? So my son's a goalkeeper. Do you want to do personal training? Do you going to work out? Are you going to work on these things? Are you going to work on those things? It's, you have to love the sport, right? That's the first thing I always ask my kid. I was like, you having fun? Do you love it? Is this what you want?" Yeah. Because like? you might get hurt or you might not make it or you might not be good enough, but you can still have fun in the moment. And you can learn a lot, I think, from a lot of different sports, from playing on a soccer team. There's so many things happening up on the pitch, right? That there's so much that you can take from it. But there's different things that are happening on too, because you have the coaches of some of these leagues and you have one coach and all they care about is winning. You have another coach that's all care about is player development. You have different styles of play. So if you go from one team to another, not even talking about leagues, one team within the same league or the same academy, they might have different styles where I think if you go to some of these other countries, like say smaller countries, not as diverse as the United States, for example... They might have a style of play that you start playing when you're five years old. And by the time you're 15, you know the formation, you know where you need to be on the pit, right? You know everything you need to know. And you actually see some of those academies coming You have like uh, Barca's here. I know, I think Arsenal's got teams around the country where they're they're training them their style of play, which is interesting that they're coming here because they... They wouldn't be coming here if they didn't see the opportunity to make more money, right? So mm-hmm. anyway, youth sports is a big thing. I know you focus on a lot with kids and developing them. What do you see happening? Like, Do you see more organization coming with it? Because I see if you're going to go on the US side, you're going to get to the DA side. You're not even playing high school at that point, right? Because that's a different sport, right? When you go watch a high school game versus watching an a club game, academy game, they're almost two different sports. I think there's exposure to the sport, but it's like boom ball and just kick the ball down the field. And it's all about winning and nothing else matters. There's very little culture involved with that. Where on the club side, it's very tactical, very strategic and all that. So what do you see developing more on the youth side of the game as US soccer is continuing to find a way to invest in their sport?
1: It's hard because I, I, I would hope that the DA side gets stronger. I, I like the idea of it. But like you said, the issue is, and again, I, I may be completely wrong on this one, but I've heard some parents spend close to like $10,000 a year on their kids just being part of the A, which I mean... Well, so to ask on that side of it, so like in
0: Mexico, if they if there's an like elite player or if there's a good player, right? Young kid, they're not spending that, right?
1: No, you're free. I mean, yeah, it yeah. looks like i was having this same conversation about, I'd say, three nights ago with another uh, another goalkeeper coach i was visiting us um and yeah i mean when i was out there like you're just playing you're you, that, that's it that's that your biggest worry is is to play and to continue you know going up on the ranks you know you don't worry about much now obviously the higher you make it and and, and i mean this is once we're talking about you know during your youth years you know um there's a kid here from vegas that is with america he's a third string you know and uh you know, he was talking to us about his whole thing, you know, so when you're young, you're in the Casa Club, which is a, the, the clubhouse of the team. And, you know, you have access to the chefs, to the, the nice rooms, everything that the club can provide you because you're a youth player. The moment you turn 18, well, you're considered to them a pro, if you're an adult. It's kind of like your time to, you know, you're bringing in into the club now. You know, they're, they're paying you your salary and, you know, you pay back with performances yeah you're 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 out in the real world and now you're paying for your apartment and now you're you're taking care of yourself and you're doing your own meals and obviously when you're eighteen with your first contract it's not that that great deal you know as many sure. people think but um i mean you're 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 making more than probably the average person in that country but, but like you said no i mean you're you're taking care of you're taking care of until you get into that age where you're an adult and now you you got to take care of us kind of thing but yeah i mean when you look at that when you look at um Someone told me the other day, I think our our average family income in the country is like sixty grand now, something like that. So if you think about that, $10,000 is what it's going to take for your kid to be a DA player. I mean, that's a sixth of your income, of a family income. I mean, most parents aren't going to do it, you know, and that's just for him to play or for her to play. That doesn't include, you know, like you said, personal trainers, doesn't include, you know, if they're goalkeepers, does a club provide it? And if they don't provide goalkeeper training, do I have to go outside and find it? With goalkeepers, I, I know it takes what two pairs of gloves, roughly every three months. You know, um, cleats and any other miscellaneous things that could come on board. You know, so that bill could, could continue going up, and and it's um exactly what what our country struggles in that the low that this sport is is starting to become a a very expensive sport where most people aren't able to do it, where you see a lot of talent get lost in the in the rec side or in the in the state side or in the regional side of things because they can't afford to play national side. You know, I, I look back at when I played and um, there was no way I was going to do DA. So the fact that if I put my myself and the things that I accomplished in my in my career and that to think that in today's world, I wouldn't get there because we wouldn't have afforded it, it opens up those eyes because a player like myself and a lot of the players in, in my UNLV team that, you know, a lot of us went on and played the professional world at the USL level, a lot of those kids wouldn't have been there. So you remove roughly 11 kids out that did reach that goal that today wouldn't, unless someone, there was a a nice, you know, family that was going to sponsor that whole team, you know, it wasn't going to happen at at all. So you remove, you know, I I look at that. I look at the amount of kids that would have got lost because of, you know, the DA side, the ESL side. um, And if you're, and again, today in U.S. soccer, I think it's only mandated by U.S. Soccer for for coaches like U.S. Soccer scouts to CDA, they're not even looking too much into the U into the E-CNL level, much less into the club side. So if all I can afford is for my kid to play club, well, that's it. You know, yeah. you know, it's 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 now me trying to find another way with social media, YouTube to try to promote them. But you know, you're basically. On um, pillars right away for the fi- for the family's financial backing that can't afford to expose the kid anymore. Which at the end of the day, we're not here to get exposed, really. You know, that's not the whole point of this. It's not to get marketed.
0: It's to be developed. So, do the clubs and the players have an ability to reach out and promote themselves? Social media, YouTube, all those things.
1: Look, it's, it's a tough question. Like today, a lot, a lot of. Um, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that clubs. That's what they're. That's what they're doing.
0: Could they reach out to scouts, to professionals, to different leagues around the world, perhaps, can a player, can a club... Could you or the individual player promote themselves right, to get to that next level because, hey, couldn't afford to be on DA, didn't want to be on DA, didn't make the DA team, but realize you're having a progression and maybe that coach didn't see you, that league didn't see it, but you can put your tape, you can get in front of these people, perhaps, and they're busy, so that's a complicated Aspect. I mean, it happens in sports, it happens in music, it happens in different things where you can promote yourself. Do the leagues have the ability to do it? And do you think the players could do it as well? Because you know, you're cutting out the middleman. It's like you and I talking over video today.
1: I think there's a few pillars on that. Number one, I think most American families don't want their kids to go the professional route. The security side is mm, let's get the scholarship and you become a professional in that career and that's it, you know? So that's number one. Number two is also the, the down that we have in our country of, ah, yeah, they don't really know how to play out there, you know? So how, so it's very hard. And again, this is uh, from some of my, my old teammates that are professionals right now that are trying to make the jump into the European side, where it's said that it's a little bit easier than to be MLS and go somewhere in Europe because they don't, they don't recognize the USL league so much, you know, so they're kind of, you know, more entitled to automatically see, the player compared to on the MLS side, maybe they recognize MLS there and they're just like, yeah, that's not going to work out for us. you know. Right. So again, that, that, that's the insight that I get from some of my teammates or old teammates, I should say. But when it comes to the youth side, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it, it, it's hard to sell a coach that's uh, in Europe where there's thousands of kids at this kid's level. And well, well why, why is he trying to come over here? But no one knows about him over there. Uh Because ideally, you know, in the way this pyramid works, the best kids are playing over there, you know, and and they're getting sought out from all over the world. But if this kid isn't recognized in his own state in his own region, well, how, like, you know, automatically, why would we assume that he can hang over here with the thousands of kids that we're cutting out? Right. The reality is that, you know, like like we said, the economic change. You know, um, there's no reason for for a kid to just kind of be told, well you're not going to make it. Why? Because you can't afford to pay the $10,000 on the DA side or the, I don't know, five, $7,000 on the, on the ECNL side, or, you know, there's entry fees that I hear about that just to enter into the club, it's $2,000 just to be part of the club before the coaching fees and all that kind of stuff. So right. there's a lot of times that don't do it. And just like that will automatically you have this little asterisk on the side of your name that says, well, you don't play at the highest level. How do we know that you're that good? Okay. You know. And then again, like even today, I mean it's it's hard for myself to record my own training sessions. I couldn't imagine being a father and having to record my kid playing.
0: Right. A lot to think through. It's a lot of
1: going through. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and I think it takes
0: perseverance, right? Like we talked about, so there's a certain type of mindset, if you will, of putting yourself out there and trying different things and you never know, right? And and maybe can, there's expenses, right? You get to camps, you go overseas. There's different ways to do it. And and mindset's a big thing in the sport anyway, and as you obviously talk about is your focus is on goalkeeper training. I've witnessed it, you know, watching my son and just watching in general, soccer is an interesting sport because you can play an entire game and have no shots on net. And perhaps you get one shot on net in the 90th minute and it, it happens, right? And next, and then either you make that save and you're the hero or you don't. And I mean, there's a lot of things that can be said about that, but there's certain positions, quarterback in football, pitcher in baseball, Goalie in soccer, that in hockey as well. That there's such a mental component to that sport. That obviously the physical attributes, the understanding of the sport, the strategy, all. But if you don't have the right mind for that position, I don't see how you possibly make it. Now you have to go through the struggles early, but mindset, which we've talked about a lot already. But mindset for that position specifically, goalkeeper. What did? What do you talk about when when we start getting into that?
1: Yeah, no, and, and again, it goes back uh, a few years ago, someone asked me, I mean, I'm, I'm 26 right now and someone told me, um, I was talking to this gentleman, I think he was in Virginia or something like that, and he was approximately double my age, so at this point, he must have been like 48, and he was telling me, he's like, you have an old soul or or whatever's going on, he's like, you. it seems like you've been through a lot to be able to think this way, and I think it goes back, in my opinion, to the the goalkeeper mindset that... For years and for you know my whole life, if I wasn't the best one there, I wasn't the one playing, and it's a pressure that no other position, in my opinion, understands. Because you know you could put a left back in or a right back in, or you could change the forward. You know a lot of forwards end up becoming like center backs or something over time. So I don't know how it works out, but. <laughs> You know, with us, that's it. You know, we're, we're locked down to that, you know, and there's no putting me for 10 minutes on the wing or there's no putting me for 10 minutes up top or there's no putting me just to give me minutes. You know, it doesn't work out that, that way at all. In a professional world, the number one is the number one and he's the one playing unless something happens. And it's um it's a weird life because, you know, on one side, you're supporting your teammates do well because that means the team's doing well. But on the other side, you kind of hope something goes bad so that way you can get your chance, you know? <laughs> So it's strange. And like I said, the, the mindset of that, I think, is the reason why today I am who I am, you know, of, of knowing that we got to keep going or else I'm not going to get to play. And like you said, a, a lot of these kids, I, I think when they become adults, they understand it. They see life in a different way just because they know that. But like you said, I mean, there's so much pressure that comes to it. I don't think it's the most important position, but I do think it's uh, most, the position with the most responsibility reason why is because unfortunately we can't win games we can we can save them but you know the number nine and those forwards are the ones that are winning up for us but you know all we can do is save the game here and there whenever we get the chance but yeah I mean the mindset for us I, uh, in the coaching world we don't even talk about mindset because it's a given either you have or you don't and that's it you know so we don't really put it as you know oh he has the right mindset it's, you need to have it from the get-go
0: okay I've seen it It's like anything else, right? You have to go through the struggle a little bit. You have to go through these downtimes and it's maybe is it, are you watching to see how they respond, right? Because you could see a young goalkeeper and game starts and they let in a goal and then they, maybe it's not a great goal and they let in the second goal. Maybe the second goal is worse than the first goal and it shouldn't happen. And maybe some players or coaches are doubting them. Is it time to see how they respond to that? Because, well, maybe now they're letting in three, four, five, six goals and it's like, well, they're totally lost it. And it happens, right? You have a bad day. What is it, how they respond to say, you let in those two goals and then you played your best soccer after that?
1: Yeah, look, so look, I'll give you my, my an example. Last week, I was in Arizona for the ODP regionals and um, I was out there watching. There were some of my kids playing and our two best 08s were selected and they're the, the two best 08s on the, on the Nevada side. So they went to go represent us. And to me, it, it was... The way for them to see what this life really is about—that they're the two best Oates, and they've always been playing on their own, on their own team—but now they come together, and we're the only ones going to play. And to me, the mindset more of obviously making mistakes, but you know it's easy to coach a kid about that. You know it's it's part of it. You know you're going to sure. make a mistake, you move on. It's it's what we're here for. The most important thing is how a kid that goes from playing every single game goes into the role at this age of eleven and understands that now you're the backup. Now you're the backup. Now your role is to support when you've never been in that role before. And, you know, they cry, they get upset, they get angry because they don't know how to manage this. They understand that their parents are here and I'm not playing. It doesn't make sense, you know. So that's the mindset. That 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 to me is the mindset, you know. When it comes to mistakes or, you know, how they play after, obviously that makes sense a lot. But you, get, you forget about that quickly. But I think it's hard to forget about the time that you went to ODP regionals and, or, or you get called up to national team or whatever it is. And you think, you know, I've been this hotshot my whole life and now I'm not. That's the mindset. That stings you a little bit different and, and, and that builds you, it tears you down. And then it builds you back up because, you know, it's very easy after that for the kids to say like, I don't want to do this anymore. I didn't like that. I'm out, yeah. you know, and it, and it weeds you out. It weeds you out. And again, it goes back to parents, you know, we need to educate parents, coaches, because It's very easy for a parent to see his kid not or her kid not being happy. And what they do is, oh, it's go to another team. done. And you keep giving them this taste of life is that, life is that. Life is just whenever it's going bad, we just go elsewhere to make it better. But in the goalkeeper world, it's not how it works out. Because at one day you're going to get caught up. You know, it's going to catch you up and the moment catches you up. Like I've had teammates at the college level who had never... um, tasted competing who were always on a team that had just them as goalies. And then they showed up to division one or the college world. And now there's four other guys and you know, now it's now one of them can play, right? Yeah. And, And now it's learned and your whole, their whole four years, they go by by just trying to catch up, trying to catch up and how can I get better? And how can I get better? And how can I get better? Because from the early age, they're never brought up to understand what it is to compete. You know what it is to, to earn minutes or to take away minutes from someone else.
0: Sure. It seems that they want a lot of these teams, teams with great culture, try to create that competitive environment. Yeah. Perhaps it's for the keeper, perhaps it's for the striker, oftentimes the keeper, right? That there's going to be two of you on this team and the best mm-hmm. one's going to play. The one who works the hardest, the one who plays the hardest, one has the best mindset, the best leader, all these different things. And it's obvious because you said it brings them down, but it builds them back up. So you've seen kids go through this and hit that rock bottom or go low. And then be like, then they, they realize it, they get outside their own head. And you can apply this to right, just about anything. And they come out the other end of it. And they, they make their move and they find their way. And maybe they're the ones that are starting soon because they didn't take it for granted. And they realized what they needed to do. And maybe they weren't good enough. Maybe they thought they were good enough, but they weren't good enough, at least for that
1: next level. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. You know, It tears you down. It humbles you very early on because, well, like we said, there's only one guy. When people go and apply for scholarships and they tell you, well, there's only one position, automatically you're like, crap, well, that's not going to be me, you know? <laughs> yeah. But in this world, these kids, you know, since they were children without, with, you know, with seems still the beautiful side of the sport, understand about that, understand that it's only one and it's only one. And, and that when they're younger, it's easier, it's easier. And once you realize, oh, we're really good, well, now there's four of you and only one and you weed out and then more and more. So again, those are things that, yeah, they tear you down, but they make you very strong as well, you know? And um, like you said, when it comes to coaching staff, there's a lot of guys that from the get-go want to wanna tell parents, hey, I'm going to get two. I want them to compete. But as a coach, you need to understand how to manage that as well. Sure. It's very easy for um It's happened to me in my past where I was the one that had to deliver the bad news to the goalies. When, yeah, as a goalkeeper coach at that point, could it be my job? Yes. But I truly believe that as the captain of the ship, you know, the head coach, it's his duty to let them know why. Sure. All I am is I'm the messenger between the staff and the, and the, and the goalkeepers on this is what's going on. But you know, a lot of coaches need to take responsibility of understanding how am I going to help these kids compete? Not just saying like, well, you did good last week. So we're going to put you in. Right. You know, And understand, like you said, teach them their mindset, teach them on why, what are you doing wrong? What don't I like? What can you go do off? You know, but it's got to be frustrating too, because like you said, you're trying to communicate this with the keeper and you got the
0: parents' involvement. And then they're going home and they're saying, well, you should be playing. And they, you know, they build up this thing. And it's now you're possibly talking to the parents when you know you probably want the kid coming to you and possibly asking like, Coach, what am I not doing? What do I need to do? What should I be working on? Where, where am I missing it? As opposed to all of a sudden, the parents are now talking to you and developing this mindset of, well, we're going to fix it for you, Timmy. You know we're gonna we're gonna make this right, we're gonna get you on a different team and you're gonna be the starter and, and building this thing up that's like, oh you think it's gonna happen,
1: but you could just fool it and all of a sudden next thing you know, now what? You think it's gonna be good. You think it's gonna be good for the for the child, you know, but all you do in the long run, you harm them. You know, like I said, there's been teammates of mine that showed to the college level and they've always been the only yeah. guy, the only guy. And then it's kinda like how? How did this happen? Yeah. So it's it's the downside of the whole pay to play thing. You know, parents have Parents have a choice. They have they have control. With as much as we want to tell our coaching staff that at this club it's different, you know, parents don't you know don't buttle in. Reality is you're paying for a service, right. you know. I assume I have I have a a choice in it. So unless the from the beginning the clubs educate the families, educate the parents that we understand that you pay fees and yeah it sucks, but once you step this line, that's it. You know you don't have a say. And if you wish to take your kid, well, this is what we believe can happen negatively. This could be maybe the positive side of it. But yeah, a lot of the education needs to be done on that. And again, I only speak in the goalkeeper world because that's all I really know. Right. I don't really know how it is for field players and all that kind of stuff. But for us, you know, I, I know a lot of the competition, the day-to-day competition needs to be done on a training session, in a training environment. So if if a coach is only giving the kids chances to compete in his own training, I mean... What what do I mean, you? You as a goalkeeper dad, what does your child do in 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 the average goalkeeper training? You know, who does it favor? You know, I'm sure to favor him. You know, and you never hear about that because there's 18 other kids there, so you have to favor the the larger group. And again, those are things that need to be educated and hopefully changed one day. You know, where it's maybe clubs not investing so much money on on some of the coaches, but hey, let's invest more money on our goalkeeper department because one guy can't handle a hundred, te- hundred teams. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah, yeah.
0: But you get more kids playing as the sport grows, in- inevitably they're going to show up. And you talk about training a lot. We, when we talked last time, you talked about, obviously when they show up, you're going to help them out with the specific things that they need to get better at, but you're not going to work on the things that they can work on at home. So there's an expectation that you can spend as much money as you want. You can show up to these practices. You can show up to the games. You can do all this stuff. But what are you doing when no one else is around? And that's right. You hear, pick an athlete, right? They'll tell you the story. It's not what they're doing when the lights are on. It's what they did when the lights were off and no one was around. That's all just playing out everything that they've already done. And so that's the same thing for kids, right? So when they're showing up, you can show up to practice two days a week and go to the game on the weekends. It's not going to work. And yeah. you know, I know you harp on this constantly because it's that's what it's all about, and that and that applies to anything, whether it's soccer, business, right? Creating a new brand, like hey, that's great. You worked hard today. What did you do at
1: night? What did you do this weekend? What did you do next? What did you do last week? Right? Because those things will play itself out. Yeah. No. And, and again, it's, it's it's one of the things. Again, um, I remember with my friends, and again, I, I tell my dad all the time. Like I, I was fortunate enough to be, you know, so far in my life, for half of my life was you know, without technology and the other half was huge on technology, but also in the sports side, half of my life was done in the, what we call the 1990s goalkeeper method. And then now they call them like a modern goalkeeper method or whatever, but I was able to taste both. You know? And as myself at 26, I'm able to see well, what works better. And you know, back then, I mean, your kids, everyone's on a bike, on a skateboard, whatever you have, and you're out with your buddies all day long. Well, I was out with my buddies playing soccer all day long, you know, and it was every day and it, and it was, a, oh, I'm going to go train from, you know, what, six to eight and that's it. You know, it was got home from three and we mm-hmm. ran around training and then went train, you know, and then came back and maybe we got the chance to play a little bit more. So you see that those kids back then were putting in basically like an eight hour shift or six hour shift, of having fun with the ball. And then you wonder why, why these kids that put in, you know, four hours a week. And maybe the two game, the two hours in the game, but you know they have three hundred dollars shoes and they're you know regional players and all this kind of stuff. Well, you wonder why those kids are there, and it's, is it because the kids that are doing it for fun and because they love it and because there's nothing else can't afford it. And we go back to all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of kids that are out there that truly enjoy the ball at their feet. That don't. There's kids that I've kicked out of training out of my academy, and you know parents that you know get very upset. But we're not babysitters. You know we're not here to. So you can dump off your kid for an hour <laughs> and and that's it, you know, and um, yeah. there's other kids that would much rather give my time and give my, my resources for free because they, they, they want it. You know, they, they desire a mentor, they desire help, but due to the resources, they can't. So again, it's, it's, um you know, the, like you said, like the more you put in, the, the more you get out, but obviously the more you put in just out of love, the more you're going to get out. Not just because, you know, there's kids that I see out there and are working and they're they're hustling or whatever it is, you know, but you're treating it as a job, you know, and this shouldn't be a job. It should be just a passion of, this is what I do to get my mind off of my girlfriend or wife or this test I have going on. Right. You know? right. this, this is what I love to do, you know, and I mean, I remember growing up, there was times that they would tell me, what do you do with your life? I'm like, I don't know. I, if this pro thing doesn't work out, I have no idea. That's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's all I knew. It's, it's all I was good at, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. Well, and then look at it though, right? It turns into a business from there. So you, you lean into something. If you have a excitement to do something, this passion, whatever word you want to use around that, and lean into it. Well, it can lead to a lot of things. And for you, it led to what it is you're talking. You're talking to me about soccer on a podcast right now. Like I get it that I would imagine you enjoy talking about soccer. You met imag- you enjoy playing it and coaching it, teaching it, thinking about it, whatever that is. So you're out there, you're doing these things, you have an academy, you have Pathway, you're helping keepers become better keepers, go on to the next level of their career, whatever that might be. Tell me or tell us about Cronus.
1: Yeah, I mean, so Cronus, I mean, it's funny you say that, you know, because like uh, yeah, I, I I tell parents all the time, or the coaches tell me, like, why do you talk to the parents so much? I go like, why? Why do you answer their calls? You know, and it does get crazy sometimes. I have my phone on, do not disturb a lot of it. But <laughs> when they talk to me about goalie stuff, you know, like it just it sparked something that I just can't, you know, I I enjoy it. I love talking about it. So I don't feel like I'm giving them customer service. To me, it's like, it's a, a, you know, it's a Tuesday afternoon and we're talking about something that I enjoy doing. But when it came to Cronus, yeah, Cronus was built off of just a, a little idea that it wasn't Cronus. It was just my first professional expensive pair of gloves were given to me my first year at the JUCO level. It was a pair of sales goalkeeper gloves or whatever. And there was the first ones up until this, I was wearing gloves from Walmart, Big Five. When I played in Mexico a little bit, I had Rinat um, was big out there. So they were handing them out to us, but it wasn't what they are today. So, you know, I was coaching, I was assisting, and someone told me, like, hey, like I, I opened up my own glove company. I just do it just to kind of have my goalies match. That was it. And that's when I was like, oh, people can do that. I didn't know people could have their own glove company. You know, I just thought there was Nike Adidas stuff. Right. And I did my research. It took me about six months. And I just, you know, pre-ordered like, what was it? Like 10 pairs from, I think it was China. And they and I modeled it, the closest thing to the cell glove, because I was going to UNLV after this year. And I just wanted the same glove. I, I trusted that glove. That's all it was. And that little idea became to, you know, what we have today. You know, which it, it was never, you know, like how they tell me, like, I just start the company. It was like, it wasn't a company. It, it, it wasn't supposed to be this at all. You know, I never like I said, I was going to go pro. And at that time when I was like, you know, 19, 20, I'm like, if it doesn't work out, I want to be at least on the field to let me become like a kinesiologist, physical therapist or something around that, you know? So I was studying to be that in case pro didn't work out. And then the glove brand just kind of ended up becoming what it became. And what was it? I was this, I officially registered it when I was 20 and at 21, 22 was the first time that I felt like I fell in love with something else than playing, you know. I felt like, okay, well, if it doesn't work out, I have this and this is going to work out, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it, it took that, you know, but like I said, it was never supposed to be this, not yeah. in the beginning
0: Yeah. That's amazing, man. I love that story. So then you have the you have the gloves.
1: And so I imagine who can buy the gloves. Yeah. I mean, so beginning, it took me roughly, I think it was four months to sell a pair, which really sucked. You yeah. know, that, <laughs> you know we, I was selling them for maybe like $20, $25. Okay. It was as cheap as you can get them because again... I wasn't trying to make profit off of this. I just wanted right. enough to order more for me. Right. For <laughs> that was to it. an end, yeah. Yeah, that, that was it. That's all I cared <laughs> about. It wasn't supposed to be that. And then, um, again, through coaching kids through the academy side, a lot of parents were like, oh, we'll, we'll use the gloves that you use. Okay, great. I, I kid you not, within a year, I had like some kids signed from the Barcelona Academy, from Chelsea, from um Arsenal from Manchester United from teams in um in Mexico a few kids here in the US who looking back about it, it was a is it was a total waste of money you know I didn't have that money to help out with that, that with that amount of gloves but it solidified the brand into something where you know the biggest thing i think at first is uh, attraction to the product but to the trust in the product so at this point you know i i was i was 20 and i was selling to you know 14 year old kids so it's, it's hard when you don't have a website and it's like, God, oh, just send me the money on PayPal or whatever it is. Right. But when I had kids wearing them that were getting called up, you know, that had a picture next to each, like I at as around Well, kids kind of like, Oh, well these kids wear it. So it must work. It must be good. Right. And yeah, I mean, it was everyone being able to get them. You know, there was my first customer, what happened to be um, a girl that ended up becoming my, my goalkeeper for nine years, you know, or for eight years, I should say. But that's how we met. She needed a pair of gloves. She met me at a park. Oh, you coach your kids? Yeah, I coach your kids. Oh, can we coach with you? Boom. You know, yeah. it just worked out my way. But um, yeah, I mean, today, thankfully, we're all over the world. You know, we have distribution centers out in Paris and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a good little small business. Yeah.
0: So are people able to go online and get your gloves and order them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Online on through our website. We've been top five in Amazon now for I think four years or three years something like that. So. Okay. You can go through Amazon, um, so it makes it easier for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. it, Everything is on the Amazon, final. yeah. <laughs> but no, the Amazon story was a whole little thing of its own. You know, um, I was still playing, I don't know if I was playing or if I was coaching, but I got a call from them actually. You know, they called me and they asked me, like, hey, we've been searching up, you know, your brand. We would want to add it onto our products. We think, you know, logistics or whatever these people were talking about. And we added it up and next thing you know, it it really, you know, gave us comfort in sales, you because know, it's hard. It's hard to to start up a business and Dave, like you said, I'm the one, you know, customer service and dealing and dealing and dealing. And by the side, I'm also coaching kids, and it gets, that gets got that got tough. But when um when Amazon came in, it helped us out a lot um, to just be able to just take a breath and just you know go me going back to enjoying designing and making them and yeah. all that kind
0: of yeah. Well, you talk about branding. Well then you so you have the gloves, right? You're getting recognition there. You've got your brand builded out and now you start working on the academy, the pathway, right? Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so we made the gloves and then um, gloves went to um, I, I was always used to training with the tights, you know, so tights sh- tights and then the shorts on top. So I made tights with a very you know nice protective layer which wasn't so bulky. That just hit, you know. Parents loved it, and and more importantly, the goalkeepers loved it, you know. And then from there, you know, we just stuck with those two products. Now we're able to put our balls, and everything works out, and gray and socks and all this kind of stuff. But that formed the official Cronus Academy, you know. And at this point in Cleveland, we had I think like 270 goalkeepers coming to us weekly. Wow. In Vegas, I mean, it wasn't it, was, it didn't exist. We had maybe like ten. But today in Vegas, I believe um, at the highest we had this year so far, it was at 87 on a weekly basis. Cleveland got up to 320 at one point. So these are kids that are showing up for goalie
0: goalkeeper training, but they're also going to their own academy, or is it just one? So
1: these these kids are are families are looking to be we talk like privately trained. Yep but it's not just families at this point you know we get outsourced by uh, like the Pittsburgh Riverhounds or you know a little bit of the crew sent some of their kids over they okay. crew has tied a side team by the name of challengers you know so they send all those kids over that are basically like the the pre academy kids the yep. eight i guess we could we could say it. so it's it's clubs now that are you know finding maybe faster resources through us than to hire one guy to handle all this well, we can just take them to the academy and they have, you know, the Cleveland Academy has up to 15 goalkeeper coaches, you know, just there. But when you in, well, we can pay this fee and we get 15 guys that have, you know, through years, you know, proven development compared to, we got to pay one guy that maybe needs another assistant or two more assistants. And we don't really know how this is going to work out. It's an easier investment for them to to trust us that have, you know, the recognition at this point with that compared to just, Winging it sometimes. Sure. So going back to the pathway a little
0: bit. So they come in there, they're training with you. You have all these kids there. Are you helping them develop to get to
1: that next level and, and to help them get you know where to go from there? You know, being honest, we developed these kids to become collegiate athletes. Okay. Because the professional world today, it's 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 a lot different. You know, um, there's not there's not kids that have access to an academy there that can make the jump directly. You know, like you said, you're getting an MLS team this year, but up until then. What's the highest level to play there? You know, right. The highest teams are around there. What do you have like Duke, Georgetown, North yeah, Carolina? Yeah, I the colleges here, and then the Charlotte yeah.
0: Independence is um that is the one below the uh, MLS.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and and um. So again, we develop them to become collegiate collegiate starters, collegiate athletes to be able to make a name there. But you know, the pathway the pathway was created twenty seventeen. Took me about a year to no, sorry twenty eighteen. Took me all 2018 to kind of get it get it going, and then 2019 in January was first time. So the pathway, in essence, doesn't really work with kids from the academy. It works for with goalkeeper with low income goalkeepers across the country or across the world. So, for example, we had a kid by the name of Christopher Jensen emailed us from Guatemala, and uh, he was in a school in Florida playing kind of like a boarding school, and he was you know playing on that team. The kid is like five six or five seven, small yeah. goalkeeper, you yeah. know. So right then and there, it's not going to work out for the average college, you know. Right. But his school, unfortunately, wasn't helping him find other places that can, you know, that was okay. So we did, and again, this is all built through communications that we built through Cronus and all that kind of stuff. Whether it's been us sending goalkeepers out route, or you know them, you know buying products or whatever. We've been able to just kind of send out, you know, a nice little email with all the info that I would want to see if I was a college coach or that I believe a college coach should be able to see from the get-go and understand there's a kid that I I know what I'm getting tomorrow, not a highlight reel where this top 90 save took him the whole season to get. And that's how he's showing me. So we sent that out and it took us I think it took him 32 hours. In 32 hours, he went from having zero offers, zero looks to I think he had 19 full rides. Wow. Obviously, the full rides, we're not talking about Division One powerhouses or Division One at all, but a lot of them were, you know, junior colleges that were at least willing to pay for his first two years. He ended up signing for a Division Two, I believe, in Indiana or in Indianapolis, something like that. But he signed there. It wasn't a full ride, but, I mean, it was a great, a great offer. And, I mean, he's happy. He's a Division Two athlete that went from, you know, what, seven, eight months ago to have from – not knowing what to do, you know, right. who wasn't helping him out. And those are the stories that I'm, that I'm here for. You live for that, man. That's yeah, so, so, so again, I, I go back and again, I always talk to my to my father about things and he's always telling me like, if you found you when I was a kid and I needed help, would you be happy with who you are today helping those kids, you know? And a story like that is what what, what I'm here for, you know, to be able to help a kid that more than likely was going to go back home and that was gonna, you know, the dream was gonna die out, you know, but at least he's here getting an education and going from there.
0: Yeah. Well that is, I mean, you talked about before you use the word branding. You have an obvious niche with goalkeepers. Yeah. You have an obvious way of doing things and a passion for it. But like you just said, those stories become your brand and that becomes the things that parents, kids wanna hear about to say, who's going to help me out? And they show up. They show up for the gloves. They show up for the academy. They show up for the pathway. They show up for whatever it is that speaks to them in that world. Right. And so I think that's what it's all about. You're very active on social media, specifically, I believe Instagram is what I've seen the most of. I'm not sure if there's other platforms there, but what has social media done for you? I mean, you come here and you've like all this, you've all these great stories. You have this obvious passion, like I said multiple times, you have this mindset. It's a lot of work, as we know. It's not just hey, let me post a picture on Instagram. I'm going to all of a sudden get new clients and people to buy my gloves. What has social media meant to you and your business?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's weird because um, I, at first, you know, this whole like influencer thing is going around. Um, I don't consider myself so much of, of an influencer because I, I don't really just post things. Just to go out there and just oh, let let let's let's hope this thing goes viral. You know, right? I prefer for years, you know, um, there was coaches. Instagram accounts had like 150,000 followers and all this kind of stuff, but they would call me telling me like, Hey, why is it that I can't get more than two kids in my session? Well, you know, to me, I I put a lot of more of the work and stories like this of helping kids out directly. And yeah, it takes longer. And the the ROI, you know, isn't there because I mean, we're doing it more just to help out. But at the end of the day, like you said, like those, to me, the parent, and if I ever have a child would be, Whoever I'm trusting my kid with and development, do they care about my kid or are they just here for the, you know, an extra whatever it is financially? And I truly felt that, like, at least majority of the families view me and view and understand my passion. Mm -hmm. They understand that I'm here to help out more than whatever they pay in our fees or whatever. So I think overall from that, when it went to Instagram, I think it solidified more of who I am. You know, if you go on and all you see is goalkeeper stuff, literally, that's all you see, you know? Yeah. If I go to Japan, I'm, I go and I go watch some goalies or I go meet up with some of my goalies out there or whatever, but it's all goalkeeper. Calling. So I think it, it gives, you know, when people could go on the page and, and see me of what my real life is and just see, like, well, this is all it is, you know, it's not me living it. <laughs> pictures of gloves, yeah, of cars. And so I, I, tell, I tell my family all the time, like, I really want to buy a Tesla. I really want a Tesla. But I feel bad thinking like, well, I'm definitely gonna get a Tesla, and he's helping out low-income families. You know, I mean, it's a weird view because I don't want them to see me as a um, you know this guy that's living it. Because at the end of the day, I, I put in my hours, I put in my my um, you know my blood, sweat, and tears into three businesses that are today are, are very, very good businesses, but with a lot of a lot of hard work through it. You know, but even then, I mean, I'm just here to help out as many kids as they want, as they need help. If someone could have done for me what I feel I'm doing for a lot of these kids, I think I would have been in a much better um, professional place. Yeah, I really do feel that I was able to accomplish what I accomplished through a lot of it just being natural skills, hard work, but a lot of it being naturally. So I couldn't imagine what my skill set could have been if I had you know me or some or one of my coaches or one of the Cronus staff members helping me out every step of the way, four or five times a week, whatever it was, you know. But you know, I mean, I I hope that a lot of these kids the day of tomorrow can go back and think about, hey, well, not Abdel, but the Cronus brand. You know, the Cronus brand really helped us out. Sure. You know.
0: Yeah. Well, and you mentioned ROI because so much of when people look at social media or content or the time that you're putting in and putting whatever your thoughts, your graphics, whatever that might be, it's like, how do you measure that? Yeah. And and how do you measure that story that you just told and you shared here and, and, and putting it on this podcast? Well, does that mean now you're going to get the next kid on there and you're going to get an influx of cash because you told that it's, it's, it's not like that, but you saying it, not me, you saying the ROI word, it's, it's a big word, right? That, that goes in with branding. And it's like, yeah, it's not that easy to measure. Right? No. I mean,
1: one of the things I remember when I started Cronus was just like, uh, don't view the profits as as being successful you know because we both know that there's a lot there's a lot of ways that you could skim you could skim people out of this kind of stuff like for example we have the annual cronus academy invite only residential camp where we have we get roughly 200 250 resume applications to come into the camp and then we choose from there 30 kids that come in and this past year it was just basically national team kids da kids ecnl kids but like how do I measure the ROI from 2013 that that's what's going to come out of it? Cause I didn't even have no idea. I had no idea. That's what it's going to get to. But to me, the ROI and all that is that because I was able to get to that place, well now there's kids to come here and you know, there's colleges that are showing up national team kids that are showing up that the ROI for me is that one of these kids ends up going somewhere. Right. Cause then we're doing something right. You know, they they got to where they want to get to and that's it. You know, it's it's not it's not about it coming back to my side, you know. It, it's about the kids getting what they're investing their hard work into, you know. Sure, that's the ROI, in my opinion.
0: I mean, I think you nailed it. I think it's great. I remember seeing this. I've seen just recently about college soccer, Georgetown, Virginia. The game goes over, right extra time, and then it goes to it goes sudden. I guess they do golden goal, sudden death, and in, in college soccer. And then it goes to PKs, and the PKs go on. I don't know what round it was. It'd be nine, ten. As a goalkeeper. PK's start. Like I've heard it said before that if you make the save, it's, that's that's fantastic. But it's not an expectation of the goalie for the team to to make the stop. But just you see it a lot, right? Especially in the bigger games, because that's you know, it's one to one. And next thing you know, we're going to PK's to decide the championship. That's one way to end the game, I guess. But your thought around PK's and then more more or less just the thought about like the goalie's mindset again as it relates to PK's and maybe the
1: team's mindset as it relates to the goalie. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's two mindsets when it comes to, to PKs. I think my my mindset and um, is on the average PK, you know, in the game kind of thing. No one's expecting me to save it. I always tell my friends it's 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 a free it's a free for all at that point. That it's it's a it's a bigger miss for the the shooter than for me to miss it. You know, he's he's or he or she's supposed to score that. If right. I save it, great, but that's it. When you go to PKs, when the game's on the line, I think that's when the mindset changes. Of like, okay, this is me. Like, like this is where they need me. This, this is where all the hard work, all the hours goes down to. How can I impact this game? I had one year in my college career that I was a backup goalie, and uh, it was my it was the first time that I ever you know had to really deal with that and, and understand that the guy's name is Ryan Harding, great guy. But that Ryan was better, you know, and and that's hard. It's it's hard to tell that uh, 20-year-old kid that, you know, dreams and aspirations to go pro and the guy, no matter what you do, he's going to do it, you know. But I took that role, you know, I took that role midway through, you know, midway through the season. It kind of got figured out that he was going to be the one playing. And we go on, we're in Seattle playing the championship game. And uh, um, the night before, the team that we are playing, I forget who it was, it was one of the Cali schools. They go to PKs and I write it all down. I write down the fi- I think it was eight shooters and I write down the eight shooters where they're going whatever and PK goes and I just tape that on Ryan. You know, I put on a piece of tape and I put it on his wrist and he had literally number <laughs> location. And he saved three, you know. Wow. And and it goes back to great. That's that's my role and like you said the mindset of okay, well, it's my role now, you know. That's my role and even though I'm not physically helping my team he knows, I know, and the team knows that I handed that guy a sheet sheet basically, and here you go, you know, help us win, you know? Yeah. But no, I, th- I think when it comes to PK shootouts, that's that changes. You're, okay. you're supposed to save them now. Yeah. Now you got to help us out, you know? Yeah. But on average PK, it's, it is what it is, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, it's true, like you said before. It's hard to win the game as a keeper, but when you get in a PK shootout, now you actually have a chance to win the game. So you might as well go do it, right? (laughs) That's where you're winning winning up for the team. You know, at that point,
1: there's no, there's nothing else. You know, you
0: you might only need to save one out of five, right? Because if your team does their job on the other end, right, so you win five four. You
1: know, (laughs) there, there was one, there was one game in my life that I saved four and we lost. Wow, you know. Yeah, I say four, and my guys kept missing, and I'm just like, okay. put they well, putting okay. it over?
0: Putting it just a mix of everything.
1: Yeah, so we, we had um, we had one that was saved by the other goalie, and then the other three were were missed. And I'm just oh. kind of like, okay, gee, thanks. Like yeah. I'm doing my, I, I saved four, and we ended up losing it. Yeah. yeah. We losing well,
0: it. you've seen the best in the world. I mean, Messi wasn't that long ago. I think he put first country, right? Put it over the put it over the goal. So you know, it Press happens. It. <laughs>
1: it's, it's a mindset, you know. At, at that point, the goalkeeper does look bigger than what he is, you know, and yeah. And, and the the higher the the stakes of the game, the bigger he looks, and the smaller that little you know goalkeeper box looks. But on the other side, for me, I mean, the thing looks huge.
0: Yeah. Are you? Know, you just, what are you doing before? Like in the game, it's probably different. Are you standing over the ball? Are you talking the ref? Are you trying to delay it?
1: I, I've never been that guy. You know, I, remember, <laughs> I remember growing up, uh, coaches would yell at me and be like, "Get in his face or say some <laughs> stuff." I'm out. I always th- I always thought about it. To me, like it's really hard to psych me out. So how am I going to psych out another guy? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I honestly would just stand in the in the goal and just kind of move around a little bit. You know, nothing yeah. crazy. And but I was just ready. You know, yeah. I, it was to me. I think if I psych someone out more, it was kind of more like, okay, this guy kind of looks like he's he's ready to go. You know, yeah. like am I ready to go? For it, right. You know, but that was it. You know. Yeah. But no, I see guys just jump, and I for the first time in my life I saw this kid the other day smack the cross like he was like six <laughs> four, and, and he was just moving the crossbar. The crossbar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's shaking. I'm like, oh man, that looks scary. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I would be kind of freaking out there because that's a big boy. So did they, did they score on him or no? No, they didn't. They, they did okay. the, the guy shot it over, but <laughs> yeah. But when I see that, and I, and I see the whole crossbar moving, and you're just like, oh my god, you know that's. that's yeah, yeah.
0: it's fun to watch You if you just pick out, you know, Premier Leagues on the morning and the weekends and you're inevitably going to see a PK at some point in the game, most likely and or it happens and you'll, it's fun to watch the keepers and what they're what their way of doing things is. Do you have a favorite keeper? I mean, I'm sure you you apply. You know, if you have a kid that comes in and you say, "Hey, you need to go watch this guy. You need to go watch this." You know, Zach Steffen's a great example of U.S. soccer because you are saying how like you become a keeper. I, th- I think he was the one that was playing. I don't know if it was midfielder or forward, whatever it was, and they needed a keeper to play, and he he got put into it. And I think he was really upset about That's it. The right. next thing you know, it, you know, it just happens, and he never left the position, and now he's you know lead goalie for Team USA, but. Are there specific goalies that you watch, or that you, you know, like tell your kids to watch?
1: Yeah, I mean, no know, I look. I blame my 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 life in this in this cruel position to this kid <laughs> named uh, Tony. So if no Tommy, so if Tommy's watching out there. Yeah, he kind of screwed me over once, you know. Um, again, I was there. Tommy missed it. He was sick, and then I go, though, no, you're the next so you the next biggest kid." And I was like, "Great, just this one though," because you know that's I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a forward. You know, I'm a deadly striker. Up yeah, there and I never left. I never left. That, yeah. that was it, but uh, I never tell kids to go watch this kid. I always ask them, like, who, who's your favorite goalie? Go find a favorite goalie. Yeah. Because at least, again, in, in the coaching side, it'll at least help me understand why is he moving the way that he moves. If you ever look at kids who are like diehard newer fans, they move. Like, like they try to mimic the movements where there's times when they're running sure. and walking. And they're like, oh, that kind of looks like him. Yeah. Me personally, uh, growing up, one of my favorite goalies and... The guy who I emulated a lot was Victor this. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, a lot of guys, a lot of people think he sucks or something, but I thought that guy <laughs> was you know, special, you know? I think he was, a uh, before his time, you know, um, and obviously it's hard to go to be special when you have arguably maybe the best guy who ever played this, this position. Igor Casillas, in your same generation, you know, but I grew up just emulating as much as as I could. And again, today, you know, my, my biggest attribute in the sport was my feet, you know? And, um, it's, it, it was his biggest attribute as well. So I don't know if it came because of him or because, you know, it just happened, you know, but sure. today's world, it depends on the goalie, you know, it depends on, on what the kid needs. If the kid doesn't understand a lot of, uh, you know, how to play with his feet, well, yeah, I mean, you try to talk to him about, you know, the other sins that they're saying and the Allisons and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, those same goalies have a lot of special stuff as well, you know, but no, I mean, I, I just simply, when I meet a, a kid for the first time, it's one of my first questions, you know? Okay. Who's who's your favorite goalkeeper? And yeah. I my biggest pet peeve is when I get a lot of little girls and they say oh it's Hope Solo. <laughs> and I think I stopped watching Hope Solo at like
0: 2013-14. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> when they're like 2008 and I kind of make the math, I'm just kind of like it's like me saying like my favorite goalkeeper was uh I don't know, Oliver Kahn, you know. Oliver Kahn stopped being Oliver Kahn in 2002. So that puts right. me at, you know, 9.
0: You know their brand. You don't know their playing style at that point. All you look as
1: like uh, YouTube. You know Hope Solo, girl goalkeeper. She's amazing. You know, great. That's my girl. But it's kind of like the whole point of this is so you can see them every week. Who's your your favorite goalkeeper today? You know, again for me, if someone asked me that today, I love watching Sagan play. I think that guy today, you know, is is amazing. You know, I I love to watch him play. But you know, as I've gotten older, I don't have a favorite soccer team. I just follow these these goalies. I just yeah. go and I felt like, oh, this guy's thing today. I love matchups. You know, the other day it was who was it? It's Pickford or Manchester versus Everton, but it's Pickford versus yep. you know Etherson and it's it's two great guys, two great goalies, and yeah. I love to watch that. You yeah. know, so I'm excited. I think they're putting the ball to each other, right? They can both kick the ball so far, and- <laughs> basically. But but you see those things, you know, you see those matchups, and that, yeah. that's what I live for. You know, those matchups, yeah. you know when when that's good fun. guys, you know,
0: yeah. I uh, agree. Well, speaking of following people, what's the best way? You know, obviously talk about Instagram. What's the best way people can find you and follow you?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, follow me on Instagram. Again, you mentioned social media before. Facebook uh, is a lot of my parents. You know, so if you're on okay. Facebook, just type up Abdel Rodriguez, I'll pop up. It's where I put out more of my resources for parents on on how they can help out their kids and stuff like that. Uh, my my yeah. Instagram is um, Abdelrdz. Same thing. Yep. and then on Twitter is Abdelrdz underscore. So. Um, yeah, you okay. can follow me basically with the same exact name. If you just want to be lazy, just Google Abdel Rodriguez goalkeeper, and I'm sure I pop out somewhere. You're coming up.
0: Yeah. Uh, Amazon? What, how do they find you? Are they just looking up Cronus?
1: Yeah, just type out Cronus, Cronus goalkeeper gloves, uh, Cronus impression, whatever. Cronus goalkeeping, and that works out. You know, yeah, yeah. find yeah. this out. And the same thing. If you want to be a little, a little lazy, and not follow all the the social medias, which I don't blame you for. I wouldn't want to follow so many. <laughs> this type of Cronus on Google search and everything pops up.
0: It'll, it'll be our it. website
1: is Cronus.me, and that pops you up on everything. You know,
0: awesome. But I appreciate your time, man. I appreciate your passion, what you're doing for the game of soccer, spending time with us, taking time out of your busy day. I'm sure you got a busy one ahead of you over there in, in Vegas. And uh, but thank you. No, thank you so much, man. It means a lot.